This is the Family Culture Project, episode 36, Creating a Winning Family Team with Nathan Whitaker. We're Carl and Kimberly Amici, and we're here to help you live a life of purpose with the ones you love. And become the family you were meant to be. The definition of a team is more than one person working together toward a common goal. The dictionary makes it sound easy, but I know from experience that teamwork in a family can be difficult. Today, we'll be talking about why teamwork is vital to a healthy culture. Plus, we'll be interviewing someone who's had a front row seat to watch how teamwork can change the game. You know, we talk a lot about family culture, but one of the phrases that we haven't used yet is family team. And to be honest, I really love the idea of thinking of our family as a team. Um, Sometimes we call ourselves Team Amici, and I think it started in jest, but honestly, that's really the way that we need to be looking at ourselves as a team, working together um, under the banner of our values and working towards a common purpose. I mean, that's really what family culture is all about. Um, Our guest today, Nathan Whitaker, he has firsthand experience working with professional football teams, and he's seen what works, what doesn't work, and later I'll be speaking with him about the lessons he's learned over the years. But before we share that interview with you, I'd like to talk to you, Carl, about the family as a team and what you see the biggest obstacles are to working as a team. To be honest, just speaking for myself and and what I've experienced and what I think other people experience is that really pride gets in the way of, you know, teams, you know, really being able to work together and the self, you know, I I really speak about it as self. So sometimes I'll I'll say to myself, man, I'd just like to rest and relax and not go um, take the kids here or, or do this or do that or you know, be part of the team. I just want to, or do chores. I, I or just, I just want to, <laughs> I just want to relax or, you know, I think, you know, you have to on a team, you know, make up for the weakest member. Um, and some of the, some of the strongest members needs to help the weakest members. And, and when somebody's struggling, you need to lift the other person up and, and look, we, we, we don't always want to do that. And, um, so sometimes that's the hardest part of really um, being consistent in that area. It's not that we're going to be perfect all the time, but just being consistent in that area about, you know, just working as a team and and helping each other out. Yeah, you know, and I think another obstacle that um, prevents families from working as a team is a lack of vision and a lack of clarity. I think that um, when everybody in the family understands why you're doing what you're doing, they can get behind it and they can get enthusiastic about it. And so I think really clarity is super important. And that goes back to knowing your values. I know there's sometimes when, um, you know, we're getting ready to host a small group or we're doing something, like you said, that we're just tired and maybe we're not exactly um, chomping at the bit to do. You know, it's great for us to remind ourselves why we're doing what we're doing. Hey, guys, you know, so-and-so is coming over. We really want to be a blessing to them in this season. They're having a really rough time or whatever it is or whatever the reason why you're doing what you're doing. And it's sort of like a a rally cry to get everybody to jump on board with a common mission. And I think that every once in a while going back to that point of clarity is really helpful. I agree with that. The standards and the values that we create um, versus a set of rules, right, is always easier to provide um, 
clarity for, for the family and the team. Um, and it provides a bit of freedom on both sides. So uh, I do, I do think that the, the standards and the values that you create as a family are, are the most important part. It also helps you address each other on the value rather than the person or the action. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can speak to the value without actually attacking the person. Mm-hmm. And then, and then people, people in the family, people in the team get the value. So they, they don't feel defensive about you speaking about mm-hmm. their behavior related to the value rather than mm-hmm. just them. Yeah. And Nathan talks about that. He talks about, he shares a story with us about that happening um, on a team and, and how that's played out. One of the questions I have for you is around the word safety. So I'm reading a little, I'm reading a book right now and they talk about how leaders that can create a safe environment for people to speak up and fail mm-hmm. and succeed and feel what the word says, safe, right? Creates um, a much better, well-functioning, highly productive team Mm-hmm. than not having safety, right? Mm-hmm. And Nathan talks a little bit about trust as well, but I want to get your take on that. So I think there's two things that goes into creating a culture of safety, and one has to do with vulnerability, having to have an environment where people are able to be vulnerable. So that the way you prevent vulnerability is um, when something is difficult um, or when someone brings something to your attention that you're not defensive but that you take a moment and you humble yourself to like say hey is this something I can change is there something I can do better and I think that when you create that atmosphere of vulnerability everybody starts to feel like this would be the second thing that I think is important is everyone feels that their voice matters and that they can be heard and so once you have the vulnerability once people know that they can speak up once they know that they're not going to be shamed for either making mistakes or um, being themselves, then I think an atmosphere of safety is created. And, I, and one, it's one of the things that we've tried to do in our family. And you know what? Honestly, it doesn't come easy because I think the first thing we want to do sometimes is be defensive or um, is be on guard or protect our image or protect ourselves. when really we need to be able to um, feel comfortable being ourselves and making mistakes without being judged. Yeah, whenever we get that right, <laughs> which which is a decent amount of the time, but we we definitely get that wrong sometimes. It's it's a much better way to deal with the different situations. Mm-hmm. What do you think family life would look like if we thought of ourselves as a team, practically speaking? Well, I wouldn't get frustrated when the other parts of the team <laughs> <laughs> made a mistake that I had to spend my time correcting. That's true. That would be probably the biggest thing for me. Um because that's the best part of a team. Is I having... say that half jokingly. I mean, <laughs> but I find myself falling short in this area sometimes, yeah. obviously, and that's always disappointing to me. But it's 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 again, it's you're fighting a natural tendency. Yeah. Well, the best part of a team is that you don't have to be everything all the time, that everybody on the team has something that they bring to the table that helps you towards your ultimate vision, your goal, your purpose. And we know from experience, soccer, not everybody's a goalie, not everybody's the striker, not everybody's a defense. And if we had to, if if those players out there had to be good at every position on the field, they'd never be great at one position. So you need a great defender and a great striker and a great goalie 
to make it a winning team, you don't know you don't need everybody on that team to be good in every position. Mm, I like that one because he and, and Nathan talked a little bit about this as well. And actually, you just reminded me of it. Focus on the things that you know are your sweet spot or your you're 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 good at mm -hmm. versus saying gee i wish i was good at that but i'm never gonna be that you know what i'm saying like never really gonna get that good but focus on being excellent at what you're good at mm -hmm. um it's not that you don't focus on things that you'd like to be better at that's that's, right. not, that's not what i'm saying but you know focus some good efforts on what your strongest efforts are for the team because then mm -hmm. somebody else's strongest efforts are a complement to yours and mm -hmm. then so therefore you have a high functioning team together mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and besides just doing things for one another, I think that um, empathy is really High vital to a team. Me. That's right. <laughs> We're working mm. on that. Um, <laughs> empathy is important to a team because I think um, for me as the mom, it really pays when people are interested in what I'm doing. And when we're interested in one another, even if it's not our thing, if it, even if it's not our area of expertise, even if it's not something that we're interested in, in, if we could be interested in each other and what matters to one another, then I think that really solidifies our connection with one another. And I think that goes a long way with feeling like you're a part of a team. Yeah, empathy is a tough word for me mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's a strong version of being a really good listener. Mm -hmm. um, it's a stronger version, I guess, of being a really good listener, which I think being a good listener is very important mm -hmm. as much as empathy. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Hey there, did you know every family is known for something? What do you want your family to be known for? Download our free family culture discussion sheet. In just 30 minutes, you'll explore who you are as a family and discover who you want to become together. Go to www.thefamilycultureproject.com and start living a life of purpose with the ones you love today. Be sure to type in the, T-H-E, familycultureproject.com for the free download. Today, I'm talking with Nathan Whitaker. Nathan is an eight-time New York Times best-selling author, including the number one Quiet Strength co-authored with Tony Dungy. A two-sport athlete at Duke University, he holds degrees from Harvard Law School and the University of Florida. Before writing books, he practiced law and worked in football administration for the Jacksonville Jaguars and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. His latest book, The Soul of a Team with Tony Dungy, was released on January 22nd. Welcome you to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I've read a few of your books. Um, I've read the book that you wrote with Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow, as well as the book Snap Decision, which was a chapter book about football and making good decisions. I read that with my son when he was super little, and I think it's time to revisit it because now he's um, a 12-year-old boy who loves sports. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm really looking forward to reading your new book, The Soul of a Team, that you've written with Tony Junji. Well, great. So tell us a little bit about that experience and tell us real quickly about that book. So The Soul of a Team is a book that's designed to help uh, organizations, teams, corporations um, maximize their performance to mm -hmm. create high-performing teams. And we set about doing that. We actually, we actually wrote the book twice. We wrote it uh, the way we had written some others like The Mentor Leader and, and others more of a um, descriptive business book using Tony's um, stories, his life experiences to mm -hmm. illustrate those. 
But what mm -hmm. we found is that after writing seven prior books, we didn't have a whole lot of stories that we hadn't already used in some form or fashion. Yeah. So we went back to the beginning and recreated it as a fable about a dysfunctional NFL team. Go mm -hmm. figure, right? A right. Yeah. That's not working well. And so we, it, was, it was a great experience because we were able to then take all these stories that Tony never wanted to use. He never wanted to embarrass anybody and the like. Yeah. And we could fictionalize them. Yep. and turn them into a, a, a fictitious team. So we had a lot of fun doing it and hopefully it'll be a help to people. Oh, that's amazing. Well, um, when it comes to family culture, it's almost like being, it's like being on a team, right? So like our family, we call ourselves Team Amici and a lot of things that we do, like it started out as a joke and now it's sort of like really what we call ourselves. And so when I think of family culture, I think about a family team. I think about um, teamwork and cooperation. And so I am so excited to read this book and learn more about team, teamwork. Um, you know, I think most people though, when they think of teamwork, they just assume they know what it is, but there's a definite difference between working together or side by side and collaborating. So could you just explain that a little bit more to us? Well, I think, I think part of the answer um, in that is that we're all created with different gifts and abilities. We all have different passions, different things we're really good at. And to the extent that we're all just kind of working next to each other, Mm -hmm. that's fine, but that probably doesn't maximize the things we're good at. Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I've learned over time is to try to get better at the things I'm good at. It would be nice to shore up my weaknesses, but at the same time, if I spend all my time on what my weaknesses, I'm never really in the sweet spot of what I'm good at. Mm -hmm. And by having a team that works well together, um, I think it gives people a chance to, to do those things that they're really good at and, mm -hmm. uh, and to not spend as much time on other things. Um, and this, you know, in a family, this comes up in a lot of different ways. It can come up in parenting styles mm -hmm. as far as how, how we interact with each other and, and with our children. And then it also can deal with, you know, obvious things like chores and helping around the house mm -hmm. and other things. But, but there are just, um, I think there are a lot of ways in which functioning well as, as a team and using each other's gifts is very valuable. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting with a family, unlike the, an organization or the workplace or even a team, you can't pick the people in your family. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to do the work to figure out what each other's differences are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, how you're wired, personality typing, like that's all so fun to me so that I can, like you said, maximize like how we work as a team and then support and encourage one another. Um, because oftentimes, and we've talked about this in the show, my husband and I have admitted, we just would rather if, if we were like each other, it would be so much easier uh -huh, if right. I was a carbon copy of him and he was a carbon copy of me, but I think we would get a lot less done. Right. Um, no, I, so, I think it's totally true. Yeah. So what would you consider are the attributes of a culture that allows people to work together as a team? What needs to be in place in order to, to make that happen? Well, I think one of the biggest things that has to be there is this idea of, uh, and it's kind of two-pronged, it, but they're intertwined, and the ideas of, of trust and communication, mm -hmm. that at some point, if I don't think that you have my best interests at heart or vice versa, then it makes it hard to, um, to give up certain freedoms, if you will, or to, to mm -hmm. buy into this idea of, of there's something bigger than me. Yeah. Also, at the same time, tied into that is this idea of communication. Uh, you and your husband probably have totally figured all this out. But there are plenty of times when my wife and I find we're on different pages, yeah. not often in a serious, significant way, yeah. but we're just 
enough out of alignment or their assumptions. And so then it, it creates a system where you're not sure you're headed the right direction or, hey, mm -hmm. why is it that this keeps happening or whatever? And it turns out a lot of times it's just that, that I have expectations that I never really thought I needed to voice. Mm -hmm. and, and once I do, and once we figure those things out, we realize, oh, okay, we really aren't so different in our parenting. Yeah. I'm just coming at it from here. You're coming at it from there. Let's get on the same page and make yeah. sure that we understand each other. Yeah. I love that you said trust because one of the things that we're getting better at is um, believing the best of each other and just mm -hmm. trusting that this person is on my team, that, that we're trying to get at the same goal. We're trying to have the same outcome. But like you said, we're coming at it at different ways. And sometimes when I, I feel like, you know, I'm banging my head with my husband and I'm sure he would say the same, I have to stop and remind myself like, we're working on this together. We're going in the same direction. Let's figure out where there's miscommunication and misalignment because I think at the end of the day, um, yeah, there has to be trust involved so that you can have that good communication. Right. And how often do I give myself the benefit of the doubt and think, well, you know, the outcome wasn't great or I missed this or I was late for this, but really my intentions were great and I was really trying, but this and this and whatever pile up mm -hmm. excuses or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And then something, somebody else does the exact same thing. And I think, my gosh, why <laughs> do they not, why do they not respect me enough to show up on time? Yeah. And you realize that they're going through all the same stuff I was, Yeah. Uh, but I just can't see it. And I don't necessarily give them the benefit of doubt, but you're right. If you assume that they're coming from a good spot mm -hmm. and that really can help um, smooth some of those things over before they become issues. Yeah, definitely. And I'm you know, trying to teach my kids that. I think they're slower learners than us. <laughs> you know, um, I've heard you use the expression represent the team, and it's a common expression that's used in sports. And so this idea of playing for the name on the front of the jersey and not the back. So talk to us more about what that means and how we can apply that both in an organization and in a family. You know, one of the things that has been cropping up lately, and it, it may be a minor point, but I think it illustrates it fairly well, this idea of social media is something that I've been explaining to my daughters and it holds true with corporations and the like, but I try to explain that when we are, when we are retweeting or liking or something like that, your name is going alongside that tweet or alongside that Facebook post or whatever it may mm -hmm. be. Even if you're not necessarily creating this content yourself. Um, but if it's out of bounds or over the line or something, then it's going to reflect on me as well. Mm -hmm. And so I try to explain to them that, hey, when I, when I do something, take an action, it reflects on you guys. Same with you all. And, and it's true in corporations as well. We see it all the time now with companies trying to figure out social media and the like. And it's because we all represent each other, that we're all mm -hmm. part of a bigger whole. And mm -hmm. the option there, if you don't like it, it's hard to do with a family. But <laughs> if you don't like it with companies, I try to tell people, you don't have to stay, right? There's so yeah. many opportunities out there. And I know some of us get stuck and some of us feel like we don't have a lot of options, but there is some sense of once you buy in and once you join the team, there is something bigger than you. And, mm -hmm. and it's worthwhile to understand that and think through that. And, and if I don't want to uh, uh, be constrained by that or really play for the, the name on the front instead of my own name, then maybe that's not the right spot for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think a big, big part about family culture is creating an atmosphere where your family buys into what you're doing, where they can take ownership of it. And I think once they do have a sense of ownership and pride and who you are as a family, they, they start to understand that principle, that principle of like, 
what I do not only affects me, but it affects others. And we definitely have had plenty of runs, run-ins with social media when it comes to that stuff. Right. But even beyond that, I mean, so for instance, uh, you were talking about complimenting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do a fair amount of speaking. I do a fair amount of things in public, but I'm always happy to then retreat into my office and write and be by myself and kind of regroup as, as at least someone who leans toward the introverted side. Mm-hmm. My wife loves hosting people, loves having people over. And, and that's good. And I'm glad we balance each other out. But one of the things that I think we've become known for or have tried to as a family mm-hmm. is that our house was always the place everybody could hang out. So all the high school kids would come over and hang out here. And now it's happening in college. My daughter goes to the University, excuse me, the University of Florida across town. Oh, nice. Yes. And so she'll show up with six friends and my wife will start feeding them. And that's great. <laughs> and that's a terrific thing. So I think Hannah, you know, our, our daughter and others have bought into this idea that Hey, this is part of who the Whitakers are. This is part mm. of my, our identity as a team. And, yeah. and so it may not be necessarily my druthers to all of a sudden have a house that gets very loud <laughs> all of a sudden. And, but it is cool. And I have learned to embrace that and to understand that's part of who we are. And that's how we're going to be. And, and that's part of our identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when it comes to communication, I've heard you say it's okay to debate the position, but not the person. So what does this look like in a healthy team? Right. It, I think it comes back to communication and where we're coming from and why. That there are times when I think, um, you know, my boss's position is flat out wrong or my wife's position or the editor on a book is wrong. And so I, I try to talk through, hey, I'd really rather not have exclamation points dropped throughout the book when you edit it or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Mm-hmm. And if we can stay on that, that, hey, I don't think that has the right tone or the right voice or you know, the irony was that one of the editors of the book, Quiet Strength, put, um, put a number of exclamation points in, and that was Tony Dungy's memoir. And I had to point out, hey, the book is called Quiet Strength, so we can't <laughs> have Tony shouting throughout the book. And they said, well, he's a coach. And so I just thought that a lot of things, you know, a lot of times when I hear coaches, and so we're able to talk through it mm-hmm. and understand that. But my initial reaction in opening it up was, what kind of person uses exclamation points? <laughs> but, but really, it didn't taking it to the personal level didn't help anything. Yeah. But when we talked through, Hey, here's my, and it's a small, I get it's a small example, but so many times in life, they are small little things where we're on different pages. But as you said, if we give each other the benefit of doubt and think we're both trying to get to a good spot, let's stay on the issue Mm -hmm. and not say, well, you're the kind of person who, or you always, or you never, and instead just stay on, Hey, right here, right now, you know, my wife, would you mind making the bed? She'll say to me, not, hey, you never make the bed. Um, that's actually not a good example. <laughs> I read that book, First Make Your Bed. So I've been making the bed like crazy. Uh, but, but there are things like that, right? Where you can turn it into an always or a never or a character flaw when usually yeah. we just stay on the issue. Yeah. We stay in a much healthier place. Yeah. Yeah, no, I found that to be true. It's so funny you said make, making the bed. Like we sort of had this rule, last one out of bed makes the bed. So right, yeah, right. I, I can say, you didn't make the bed today. Or I could say, hey, you were the last one out of, like, you know, you refer to that rule or you refer to, refer right. to that. Yeah, to mm-hmm. kind of like take it off him. But um, right. we, we've often talked about that in terms of values. There's sometimes when just saying, hey, you know, we said that this is what we value as a family. 
has been way more effective than me saying like, you need to get off the couch and shovel the driveway so our son can get to practice. You know what I mean? So instead I bring up the value of, we made a commitment, we honor our commitment, not just when it's easy and not just when there's no snow on the ground. Do you know what I mean? So the, like right. referring to the value has been really helpful with us too and avoiding arguments and avoiding that sort of defensiveness that can happen when you start to say, you need to do this and you should have done that. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's important. Absolutely. No, it definitely, it just immediately puts you in a place of, of defending a position or a, mm -hmm. I, you know, I was in it the other day, somebody, um, somebody launched into an issue and I really didn't have any point with the issue, but the way they approached it, I all of a sudden was on the defensive yeah. and I found myself defending a position I didn't care about. But it was because I kind of got knocked back and they were saying, hey, you do this and you and 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 I had to regroup for a minute and come back to them and say, actually, I don't really your position's fine. That's OK with yeah. me. But yeah. it took a minute to to come back to that and find a healthier way to talk about it. Yeah, that's great. It's a great reminder. It's something I definitely have to continually coach myself through. <clears throat> mm -hmm. You know, um, in families, people tend to have a lot of rules, but there's rules and there's standards. And I think we see the difference between the two on teams as well. I think I heard you talk about um, this in reference to um, the football team that you're referring to. And you were saying that there's a big difference. So I'd love for you to just talk about the difference. Tell us a little bit about what each are and um, why choosing standards over rules is a better driver of culture. Right. And, and so, um, you know, one of the things when I got to, um, so I went off to Duke and played football there for Steve Spurrier, who later went on to coach a number of other teams. But Coach Spurrier had two team rules. Mm -hmm. And the first was don't embarrass yourself, your family, or Duke University. And the second was don't wear hats inside. <laughs> and, and so, you know, silly as the second one is, that was clearly a rule. Yeah. And that was something that was just important to him as growing up in the hills of East Tennessee that was what he was raised on. And so we we're going to do that. The, the first yeah. one was clearly to me, a standard Yeah. that, Hey, we're going to live up to this and, and we're going to do this. And, and so all he could have any rule he wanted that really fell under that first standard. But the idea was, how are we going to, uh, how are we going to present ourselves? Uh, Tony Dungy ran into it with the Buccaneers or the Buccaneers and then the Colts again, with that idea of doing the right thing, making good decision decisions as the standard, Mm -hmm. but he found early on guys didn't know what that meant. So he said, okay, look, I don't want you out downtown or in the clubs or anything like that after 1230 at night. Yeah. And the guy said, okay, that's terrible. And he <laughs> said, well, that's tough. That's a rule. And you know, X, Y, and Z other rules about where to be, when to be, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And after a year or two, he was able to just kind of take those off and say, the standard is don't put yourself in a bad situation. So that may mean that you need to get out of there at 10 at night, or it mm -hmm. may mean you need to never go at all. Mm -hmm. Or it may mean that you could stay till one if you're just kind of, you know, sitting in a restaurant and everything's quiet and whatever. But he was able to give them that freedom once they then had a sense of what he was trying to do and why. So sometimes it starts with rules and then you can morph into a standard, mm. which I think by and large, the more you can have a standard and something aspirational, the healthier it is. Yeah. You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking of my children and I was thinking about, um, you know, when the kids are young, we have a lot of rules, but as my daughters have become teenagers, 
I, without even really knowing it, I feel like I've put standards in place. So I've been less rule driven and more standards because I see them as becoming adults. And I want this to be the place where they practice making good decisions. And I'm trying to step out of the role of, um, not as parent, but as sort of the rule maker and into the role of advisor. Mm-hmm. And so I've found that it's been really effective with my teenagers and some of the things that we've come up against lately, where going back to that standard has been far more effective than me putting really strict rules in place about what they can do. And, and I mean, have you seen the same with, I mean, you have older kids, so you've been through this. So. <laughs> right. right. It, it's totally true. And, and it also allows, um, it allows for more, in some ways, more freedom, more teaching, mm-hmm. uh, the more you have a standard. Um, a story, and I can't remember the specifics of the story, but John Wooden, the UCLA coach, lamented for years after he was done coaching mm-hmm. about a particular young man where, whoever, whatever it was, the, the guy broke a rule and he broke it twice. And so Coach Wooden had said, hey, on the second one, I'm, I'm going to have to kick you off the team. Hmm. And he did. And then later on, he said, boy, I wish I had put myself in a position where I could have worked with him again. But I was put in a position where now my integrity is on the line because I've said one more and you're gone. And he said, instead, I could have spent, you know, he was a sophomore or whatever. I could have had him for two more years to try to build into his life. Yeah. Then having a rule in place. If I'd had a standard, he said, I could have then worked with him. And, and a lot of times life is messy and people get yeah. in situations that, um, you know, it, I tell my daughters, you know, we, we sometimes make bad decisions. Let's not compound it mm. by continuing to make others. And at some point yeah. just coming clean and saying, okay, this, this went not so well. And, and then we can move on from that. Yeah. I really love that because it gives you, it gives us freedom as the, the coach, as the parent, as the leader. Um, in addition to giving the person that we're working with freedom mm. as well. And I never realized it was, it is, it provides freedom on both sides, not just one. Right. Yeah. So another thing that you've talked about when it comes to teamwork and working together is elevating the people on your team. So um, talk to us more about that. Well, it, it can certainly happen positionally. Um, I was good friends with, I used to work for the Jaguars and the Buccaneers and was in sports administration and had a good friend with the Colorado Rockies. He was the president mm-hmm. of the baseball team. And he and I were talking one time and he said, I've got an opening right now. You'd be perfect for it. I think it's a great organization. You'd love it. You'd love Denver, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, but I have to offer it to somebody else first. And he said, it's somebody who has worked his way up through the organization, doesn't have the same qualifications on paper as you, Mm -hmm. but I need to create a culture where we can elevate people who do a good job, who do the work they need to do. Mm. And that person took it. And so I didn't go to Denver and that's great because everything worked out the way it should have. So there's that situation of needing to elevate people. Um, but there's also just, I think in, in smaller everyday ways, we can elevate them through the way we encourage them and what we say and how we, how we lift them up. We also can elevate them by giving them more responsibility, teaching them, educating them in different areas to give them more opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I think there are a lot of ways in which um, you know, that's one of the, to me, that's one of the, the downsides of micromanaging. Mm, yeah. Not only do we saddle ourselves by never delegating, but we also don't help anybody else along the way. And, yeah, that's true. and at times it's exhausting to give somebody the freedom to, all right, you go do this project, or I want you to run with these phone calls. And then you may have to go clean it up or fix something or whatever. And it makes more work on the back end. Yeah. But 
down the line, it won't because that person will learn and you'll be elevating them to a place of greater responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, I've seen that with my kids too, like giving them responsibilities that they don't quite do the way I would do them. And so I have a choice to make. I can either do it myself and they'll never learn or I can let them get the practice that they need. Right. Yeah, to eventually be able to do the job that I've given them to do. Right, I may end up having to wash the dishes again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe they're closer than they were the first time. Exactly. Right. Exactly. All right, so we're going to wrap up, but I just want um, you to talk to us just a little bit more about how you think your book can benefit from the lessons shared in, yeah, how we can as families benefit from the lessons that you shared in the book. Well, in the book, it talks about four four different elements of a well-functioning team. And those, that makes the acronym of SOUL, and it's being selfless, owning your role, being unified, and then having a larger purpose. Hmm. And I think all those things are important. Um, you know, the, the, last, um, the last shall be first. The, the larger purpose is really the critical element to me that everybody has to buy in. They have to understand what we're trying to do as a family or as a team or as a corporation mm-hmm. and, and has to be I think something that people can rally around and they all can buy into. It's not just for my benefit, but it's for the whole family's benefit. Yeah. But then these other ideas of, of um, it's one thing to be selfless. And, and I think we all get that. It's another thing to be unified. I mean, there are times when I don't necessarily pull for my teammates to do well, right? I, I'm, I'm not sure I always want my sister to get higher grades than me or whatever it may be. Um, but if we're unified and we're realizing, Hey, this is something bigger. We're all, then we can celebrate each other's accomplishments mm-hmm. and the like. And so, and so I think these four elements um, that Tony breaks apart in this book are, are very useful for, um, for all types of organizations, including families. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I definitely look forward to reading it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for, ha- for coming on. You can find Nathan at NathanWhitaker.com. He's on Twitter as Nathan Whitaker. Facebook as Nathan C. Whitaker, and on Instagram as NWHIT Books. You can get his latest book, The Soul of a Team, with Tony Dungy, wherever books are sold. You'll find all of this information in the show notes. If you've been enjoying the show, we'd like to ask you for a favor. Would you be willing to leave a short review in iTunes? We're passionate about helping families thrive and reviews help families find us. We really appreciate your support. Remember, family culture is not about perfect. It's about purpose. To learn more about the Family Culture Project, go to thefamilycultureproject.com.